This October, join But Why Though in support of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. St. Jude is committed to transforming cancer care with the goal of curing at least 60% of children worldwide with six of the most common forms of cancer by 2030. Uh, With your support, you will help St. Jude stay true to its life-saving mission, finding cures, saving children. Donate to support the treatment of childhood cancer around the world at stjude.org slash though. Again, that's stjude.org slash b-u-t-w-h-y-t-h-o. Welcome back to But Why Though the Podcast, and today we have a special episode talking to Zach Witten from St. Jude Play Live. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Kate, and I'm here with Matt. Hello. And Zach. Hello, everyone. How are y'all doing today? Good, good. Happy to have you here. I am stoked to be here. It is a lovely day uh, where I'm in the country. Uh, thankfully, I'm not near any fires, so uh, thoughts and prayers go out to everyone out there that's dealing with that right now. I'm seeing some scary stuff from our friends out there. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah, I was in a work meeting earlier today, and it, everybody was just like, yeah, this is out, out my front door. I don't know if I'm in Dune or what. But luckily, uh, we're here to not talk about the doom and gloom that is 2020 <laughs> consistently, um, but to talk about something really good, and that's St. Jude Play Live. Um, so, Zach, why don't you kind of introduce your uh, your work with St. Jude Play Live, and why don't you let us know uh, kind of how you got started and what its mission is? Yeah, you guys are about to hear the story of what has been an absolutely terrible idea that has turned into a <laughs> really awesome force for good, I hope. Um, so... My name is Zach. I work at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, where I have a very long and complicated title, which is Director of Innovation for Content Creator Development in Gaming, which basically (laughs) it's a horrible, horrible long title. Uh, It barely fits on a business card. But what that really means is that I find awesome people on the Internet who tell amazing stories, and I work with them to help tell the story of St. Jude and to convince audiences to support the life-saving mission that we do at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Um, for those that don't know, St. Jude is a pediatric research hospital based in Memphis, Tennessee, in the States. Um, we take patients from all around the world. We take the hardest to cure cases. We bring them to the hospital. Um, we do everything we can to send those patients home healthy and happy. Um, and then we freely share all of our research around the world. So we are primarily a research hospital. Um, all of our research is shared freely. And then when patients come to us, because we believe that in order for a patient to have the best chance, All they need to worry about is getting better. So patients never pay for treatment, travel, housing, food. And even beyond that, like we will board their animals. We'll find uh, jobs and help for their parents while they're here, like all sorts of stuff. We really believe that um, in order to have a chance, in order to be successful with some of these incredibly dangerous and deadly diseases, that you need to just focus on getting better. And so thanks to our 10 million active donors, uh, we do that every single day. Um, and my part in that story is, again, working with creators to help tell our story. Uh, and my story starts, uh, dear Lord, I'm getting old, eight years ago, <laughs> seven and a half years ago, something like that, um, in the far, far away of like 2012, 2013. Um, I was a web developer. I worked at a small design shop here in Memphis where I built uh, web and interactive experiences back when you like could send somebody uh, an interactive experience on a DVD built in director <laughs> or flash. I used to do that stuff and build websites. And I moved over to St. Jude to build website experiences for them. And I was building basically all their websites in Dinthon. So like Mathathon, Trikathon, the Marathon itself, Walkathon, Rideathon, whatever you could do then in Dinthon, I probably built that website. Um, and all of those websites, I realized, all those fundraising programs were predicated around either 
endurance athletics. So either wanting to do a walk or run or a bike ride or even do like a horse ride or hiking or swimming or whatever, uh, or around having kids. So Mathathon and Trikathon are both around kids. There's a bunch of stuff we do in college kids. Um, and I'm happily married. Uh, kids are not really what my wife and I see in our future. Um, and neither one of us are really stoked to go run a marathon. And so yeah. St. Jude really didn't have a whole lot for us in terms of peer-to-peer style fundraising, which is where you set up a fundraising goal and ask someone else to support you while you do a thing to fundraise. Um, and at that same time, you know, seven years ago, Twitch was still getting started. It was still Justin.tv. And <laughs> we would sometimes come in and we would see $50,000 in our PayPal account from some random event that had been held over the weekend. Like we had a, a group that did... Uh, a Mario Maker event for us, uh, not Mario Maker, like a Mario Marathon event where they went and played through all the Mario games in a weekend and raised $50,000. Um, actually, I've gone and done my research. It turns out the first ever uh, speedrunning video game marathon benefited St. Jude uh, back in 2014 or something like 2010, somewhere in there. Um, even before the GDQ got started, a group called the Speed uh, Gamers uh, ran all the Zelda games over a weekend and raised 1200 bucks for us. Um, wow. So looking at that stuff, we realized that uh, there was an opportunity to kind of build the tools and the services that gamers needed to be able to fundraise for the kids of St. Jude. So I kind of stopped doing the job they were paying me to do. And I started <laughs> doing this other job where I was basically making up what's essentially business development and fundraising. And keep in mind, like I'm a, I was an interactive guy. Like I have a degree in interactive video game design. I build interactive experiences for yeah. my bread and butter up to that point. And I was suddenly going into fundraising business development, not really knowing what I was doing. And kind of stumbled through it and no one told me no mostly I think because they were so confused by what I was doing that they <laughs> were like sure yeah video games people watch them online how do people make money doing that I was like just trust me we're gonna do this and it was myself and a copywriter and another developer launched the program in 2013 and we raised half a million dollars our first year um, off of a small investment from St. Jude and I kind of really stopped doing my day job at that point. Um, and since then, in the six and a half years, um, I guess seven years now, uh, we've raised more than $30 million for the kids of St. Jude through Ooh. amazing content creators all over the world. We've got donors from 100 countries that donate through our gaming programs, fundraisers, like active involved fundraisers from more than 40 countries. It's an amazing community of people that fundraise through St. Jude Play Live. Um, it's primarily based on Twitch, but that's like saying, you know, audiences are primarily based on Twitch. Any place you can find someone that's talking to a live audience, you can find us doing things. We do activations on Facebook, uh, Facebook Gaming, formerly Mixer uh, stuff. Uh, miss you guys. Um, and then uh, YouTube, YouTube Live. Um, we're doing a whole bunch of stuff now with podcasts. Uh, podcasts are an amazing, amazing uh like community and experience like we regularly debate inside of our team whether or not podcasts qualify as media are influencers <laughs> um because they're this wonderful like hybrid of both where you're absolutely media in the terms of like traditional like magazine style media but also it's very much so like personally influenced and, cu and curated uh and put together so we kind of view podcast as like multi-headed influencers that are coming together to tell amazing stories um, and so now I work with a team of six other people to find amazing creators and to help the kids of St. Jude uh, by getting the stories told. Um, I live an incredibly blessed life. I used to travel 100 plus days out of the year going to shows and meeting with uh, people all over the world to help grow this program. Uh, and 2020 kind of put a stop to all that. But weirdly enough, um, we ended up our last big fundraising season uh, so our fiscal year St. Jude runs uh, July to June, and we ended this last year raising more than $12 million, which is crazy wow. considering that was in the middle of both all of the, the the social upheaval and the height of COVID, which is still going on right now. But like this is when everything was shutting down and we were like, we're going to be mm -hmm. dead. Um, like rightly so because we're, we're a discretionary income charity. Like people yeah. help us out when they have, you know, the, the time and energy to despair and we're always blessed with those gifts but you know you gotta take care of yourself first um, yeah. and sure enough people were still doing amazing amazing things for us and we had our biggest year ever this last year um, and I really think it's because there is 
this amazing community bond between uh, a community and the content creator and the content that they build together. Um, because something like Twitch is very much so uh, a, a mutual creation, creative process where you have the creator that's putting the content out, but then the audience reacts to it in real time and the creator gets to get that feedback and interpret it and then adjust it. And it's kind of this beautiful cycle of give and take that makes something that both sides feel ownership of. And then yeah. when you have uh, a creator that says, we as a community are going to support X, Y, or Z charity, that impact is incredible because the audience feels first off like the community desire to show off and say this is how strong and important we are um i i think like a good example is it's like showing off you know your your audience reach for advertisers it's that same sort of thing of like this is how big our community this is how big our people behind us are this is why we are important and you get to do that by making the world a better place and every single gamer out there like even if they're you know, coming up now where gaming is the largest, you know, entertainment medium in the world, um, everyone still has that sh that chip on their shoulder of like, ah, oh, you're the loser in your parents' basement playing yeah. these games. <laughs> and that hasn't been true for, you know, 15, 20 years now, but it's still kind of that pervasive, like, nerd thing. <laughs> and I think the gaming community especially want to show the world that they can be a force for good, that they are not the way the media depicts them as, you know, these kids in these dark basements playing these violent video games, but in fact, they're a very rich and compassionate and giving community. And when they do that together, there's this desire to, to do more and more and more. And then you take in the live component of it where, you know, if, if you give and then I see you give and I see the content creator call you out, I, would, I didn't want to be called out. I want to have my name said by the creator. Um, and, and so I will donate to make that happen. And the person next to me sees that, then they want to give. And we're doing it all together as this shared community of friends. And suddenly, like, we feel this amazing, um, like, social power come from all of us working together to make the, the world a positive place. Like, it's, it, it's honestly beautiful. And I kind of wish that more people would take advantage of it because... Yeah. Uh, it's such an amazing thing and a te like I am just one small fish in a very very large pond there are something like 400 other charities active in this space and I yeah. love seeing them have the success that they're having right now because that means that they're teaching young people how to use their their voice and their power to make the world a better place and if anything's going to come out of Twitch I, I hope that that is that thing <laughs> That wow. was probably the most powerful monologue I've heard about gaming for good. I just want to say, um, I feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Oh, gamers, <laughs> we're awesome! Like, you can... do you ever see the stats on like people, like gamers that play truly evil characters in video games? Like, no, no one, no one actually does it. No. Um, oh wow! You look at the like the closest you get are things like the Renegade Path and Mass Effect, where it's like you can kind of yeah. be that like that ballsy like I'm gonna take no guff from nobody. I'm gonna go my own path. It's not truly evil. It's just like I don't yeah. want to listen to what you're telling me to do. But when you give someone a truly evil path, no one picks it because no one wants to feel bad because we are deeply empathic and caring creatures, and we don't like to inflict harm and pain on other in fact we like to do the opposite we like to help each other we are naturally inclined to be helpful and i think that you know gaming especially when you're getting a community involved with it shows that we can get all sorts of positive you know endorphins running around our brains to make the world a better place Matt, did you want to ask the next question, or is that me? I'm just, I'm still oh, just like, floored. yeah, no, that was uh, really beautiful. <laughs> I guess for me, I, I mean, saying all that in that long, uh, impactful monologue, uh, what is something Play Live has accomplished that you're most proud of out of all that stuff that you said? I guess what's your one shining moment you always think about? Oh Lord, um, there, it's weird because there's the the professional accomplishment, and then there's the personal accomplishment. And then you have to realize that everything I'm about to say is not actually me. Um, I am just the facilitator. I am the, this is going to sound real weird. I am the canvas <laughs> upon which everyone else gets to paint their art. And I don't mean literally <laughs> me. I mean that I am the guy that like gets the canvas and gessos it, gessos it up and puts it up and stretches it for the artist to come in and paint it. 
I enable everyone else to do their amazing work. I enable, like, you know, this whole crew has enabled Dr. Lupo to be the person that has raised more through video games than anybody else in history. Like, Ben Lupo has raised something insane, like $6 million, which puts him as an individual fundraiser, I think. Like, I know for a fact he's the biggest person in gaming. He may be the biggest single charitable fundraiser in all of influencer space, period. Um, Then you have, um, like, the people, the amazing team that we work with at GuardianCon, which is now GCX, they've gone on to raise... Um, you know, $11, $12 million. And every year we would go back and forth with Games Done Quick. Um, so we have an event in summer and we would be either directly before or directly after them. And whichever one of us came first would set the new record. And then the other event would happen <laughs> and they would beat that record. And so we had this beautiful little like thing that would happen between us and them where whichever one went first would set a brand new record, then we would break that record or they would break our record. It was great. Um, and so like watching that happen being able to say like we were like we have raised more than any other charity event in history and then have that be a true fact and then uh have that uh true fact no longer be a true fact because a week later they broke our record uh (laughs) and stuff like that's great but then i also i think about um there is a, a female broadcaster named oh my mandy um who is not active anymore because she is in school she is getting some sort of crazy chemistry slash biology (laughs) slash super science degree to learn how to make like medicines of the future um and she never had a huge community Um, i don't even know if she was ever partnered but she raised something like sixty thousand dollars for the hospital just because she found that right way to tell our story and i look at what she did every single like week or month and i think about it because there's always something to learn and how someone else tells your story and if there's anything that I am proud of in this, it's that I have enabled so many diverse creators to tell why our story matters to their audience. And seeing the work that researchers and doctors and nurses and staff have done at the hospital reflected back to us through someone else's lens is always just, it's incredible. Like you don't really think about the fact that like you think about St. Jude and you think about the, the, you know, the, the beautiful, like bald cancer patient, um, the, Mm -hmm. that we uh, see and we think about, because that's when you think about pediatric cancer, you think about that patient, but then you have to realize that we also have, you know, 1300 other open research lines and diseases all across the spectrum. Like we're one of the largest centers for pediatric HIV AIDS in the U S we do work with sickle cell. We do work with the, um, uh, uh, hemophilia. We do work with the flu. Like we are now setting up to be a supporting partner to testing some of these flu vaccines or COVID vaccines that are coming around. Um, it's, it's amazing to know the breadth of what we do and how every single person that we work with finds what matters to them in the huge amount of work that we do. And then they focus in on that and they tell that story to their audience. Because one of the things I love most about content creation is that if you if you are looking for something specific, it's out there. And even beyond that, you're able to find it in a face that looks like your face. Um, yeah. You are able to find someone that has that very specific like I really love kaiju. Like this is me personally right now. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm talking to you right now wearing a, a Becky Cloonan, uh, Geigen like <laughs> shirt that Mondo printed out a couple weeks back, uh, months back. It's one of my prized possessions. But this is like I'm a huge Godzilla nerd, and I realize I'm talking to you right now as a you know white bearded thirty something dude, the most common person on the internet. But <laughs> if I was not that, like I could find someone out there that was producing content that looked like not me. Um, and I could find them and I could listen to them and I would feel that community and that uh, camaraderie with them because they're telling the story of the content that I wanted to hear. Um, yeah. And that's, I, I love it. I love it. I went to VidCon a couple years back and I, I don't know if either one of y'all have gotten an opportunity to go to VidCon. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the most random show, but it is also, <laughs> if there were, literally hundreds of young non-white girls running around this show floor with their like cell phones or their little like 
point and shoot cameras running in video mode on their their sticks just running around creating content and i looked at all of them and i was like oh my god the future of this industry is <laughs> so much broader than it is right now like all these questions and these doubts and concerns that we're having right now just like give it time because the next generation is there but they're yeah. so young but they're getting started with technology and these tools so much sooner than we ever got started like I, yeah. you know, like I, I'm old enough. I'm Oregon Trail generation, like uh, millennial, <laughs> where like I still remember the sound of like a dial-up modem. I can hear it in my head as I say this sentence. <laughs> oh man! And yep. and imagine like you are six years old and you've had an iPad since you were four and you know how to inherently <laughs> use like like the editing tools inside of TikTok or whatever to make whatever content you want and you've been making short films for social media since you were five and give that person 10 years and they'll be, they won't even be able to legally drive and they'll be able to tell a better story <laughs> in video format than people that are out there working professionally right now can. And that's, and that's the future I'm excited about is that diversity and breadth of content um, and seeing what everyone else does uh, when they're given the opportunity to really show off. That's amazing. And then I think that kind of goes into my next question, which is how does uh, how does Play Live partner with creators? Um, you know, do they come to you? Do you come to them? Is it, you know, it, how, what does that, uh, how, what does that look like? Um, and what are some of the things that people do to help raise money? Um, it, a lot of it is kind of like an all you can eat buffet where it sort of is everyone has different tastes and flavors and textures and things that they like and their communities like different things and they want different things and need different things and so we are kind of an all-you-can-eat buffet where it's like we have literally every food imaginable we're not just an all-you-can-eat all you buffet we are like one of those obscene vegas buffets where they have like indian next to mediterranean next to singali next to this <laughs> next to that it's like where did you get all these types of food um because we know that's what communities need and the same way we talked about like diversity as a creator that are coming up in the future, um, like yeah. right now, like every single community is different. Every single community responds to a certain way. Every single community has their mix of like sad and funny and intense and light that they need to have um, because that is what they're known for. And so we work with creators by basically saying, what do you need and how can we work with you to produce something that is worthwhile to your community? Because really, when a creator decides to work with not just us, but any charity, um, and if their charity is listening to this, I hope they understand this. Like, when you do, when a content creator decides to work with you, they are giving you one, a gift of their time because they have to produce and edit that content with you, two, um, the gift of their audience. Um, in terms of I'm giving you access to this audience that I have carefully cultivated over years of content creation. And I have spent, you know, sleepless nights making sure that I'm producing the best possible content for. And three, um, you're giving us future monetization that you're basically not getting. It's an opportunity cost, right? So yeah. by you putting this episode with me on the show out, you are potentially like, harming like future like search results and ad results because i'm just a random guy i'm not your normal episode and like the gift that you are giving us right now and the kids of saint jude is incredible because you're opening up your platform and sharing our mission with your audience and i can't be more grateful for that opportunity and so when a creator comes to us it's basically the question is how can we help you and whatever they say the answer is cool let's let's see what we can do with that um, it's not always a yes, because sometimes like I can't help people that want to jump out of airplanes uh, and, and do <laughs> fundraisers on that. Like I, I, there are literally certain lines that I cannot cross for legal reasons. Um, <laughs> but within within that sort of like the limitation of like extreme self-harm or like, you know, hard R kind of like content. Uh, we're able to do a whole bunch. And so on the foundational level, we offer up tools like overlays and audio spots and video spots and graphics and all sorts of things that you can use for your fundraising, either uh, through a podcast or through a live stream or through YouTube content, content that you can use and help share our mission with your audience. Uh, and if there's stuff you're looking for that's custom, we're happy to work with you and help deliver that too. Um, we work with something like 1,800 uh, different creators or channels or however you want to consider it every single year. 
Um, and there are n- no one of them is the same as any one of the other ones. So every single one is different and every single one is important. And that's why we have that team that sits behind the scenes, making sure that whatever you need to pull off some grand idea that you have, that we're there to support that and make that happen because you're giving us not just a single gift, you're giving us three gifts and we need to respect that and we need to do everything we can to make sure that happens. Um, so in terms of how people can take advantage of that, um, easiest way is just to, uh, find us wherever we are. Uh, we're at playlive.saintju.org on the web. We're at St. Jude play live on Twitter. Uh, we have an active discord, which I think should still be discord.dg.gg slash St. Jude play live. Unless something's happened with our discord because discord's doing a whole bunch of changes right now. Uh, but the Twitter is the easiest and best way. And then from there, we can guide you down any, path you want to go our dms are open um we're all active and available um and we want to hear from you we want to know how to help you guys uh create what you want to create um because we need to be we don't get to do what we do without everyone else we are facilitators and enablers um y'all are the people that make the magic happen um and you make it happen for some really really sick kids and some parents that are scared to death that they're not going to be able to see another birthday or christmas with their kid and i'm happy to do whatever it takes to help that happen awesome that's just oh there's a lot um yeah I, I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna be <laughs> honest everything you're like every time you finish talking I'm like oh my god that was really powerful damn it's like you do this for a living um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's I've been lucky enough to grow up in Memphis and around the hospital and there's like, I've always known about St. Jude, right? And yeah, everyone's sort of, we do a good enough job with our brand. Our brand recently crossed over to what we like by the marketing metrics call iconic status. Um, but to me, like that's all fine and good and awesome for our marketing teams work so hard to get that. But like, I think we've been there for years because every single time we talk about St. Jude, every single time we go to PAX or TwitchCon or wherever, uh, and we'll get to the get back to those shows soon enough. You have someone that you'll talk to at a show. It's like, oh yeah, my cousin was treated there, or my aunt, or my you know my niece, or whatever. Like somehow our research impacted you. And while we are that hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, like we also have 170 partner sites around the world. Um, we have people that we work with in Washington. That's it's their job to help us facilitate like near overnight visas. Like, you know how hard it is to travel around the world right now? We have people in DC that it's their job. If we identify a kid in India that has a brain tumor that we can help them, we can put that person on a plane from Delhi, India to Memphis, Tennessee. And within 48 hours, they will be in treatment. Um, And that doesn't come without a huge team of effort to make it happen, but also those active supporters that enable us to, you know, to help pay for those lawyers and help pay for that plane ticket and help pay for those expedited visa stuff, like visa paperwork. It's, it's crazy. Like perfect example. Um, I'm going to tell a story if that's okay. Yes. 100%. We have these, what are called like patient moments um, where we have a patient that comes and talks to us as an employee gathering at work. Um, and this was a, uh, a seven-year-old boy. Um, he had an inoperable brain tumor. And when I say inoperable, I don't necessarily mean like he can't be helped because uh, he's out of treatment now. Uh, it just means that we can't put a physical knife uh, to the tumor. Uh, we have to use things mm-hmm. like chemotherapy or radiation to help treat him. Um, and he told us the story about how he was excited to start first grade. But the problem is, is that he was seven years old and he had already done first grade and that had happened because when you go through radiation treatment for a brain tumor like he had it massively impacts your short-term memory um so he was basically unable to form short-term memories which would become long-term memories over the last year and a half that he was in treatment for his brain tumor so he knew that he had experienced Christmas and Thanksgiving and his birthday because there were pictures and he had presents and he had this weird vague sensation that he had gotten a cake but he didn't remember what he had learned in school that year didn't remember what he had done the day before Um, and so he had basically lost a year of his life Um, and there is that horrible calculus of we had to take a year of that young boy's life in order to save him 
Um, And then the hospital like was seeing that as like, you know, we can treat these patients and they decided that that wasn't good enough. Like when we started, when we opened up the hospital, the overall cancer survival rate was just 20%. So one in five patients made it and the rest did not. And for the most common form of pediatric cancer, type of leukemia, the survival rate was only 4%. So your treatment protocol for the most common form of leukemia back just 60 years ago, 70 years ago, was here's some pain medication, enjoy your last days or weeks with your child. And so the hospital has been founded on the notion of like one, curing those, like what were thought to be incurable diseases and then two, ensuring that the treatment doesn't do more damage than the disease. And so in this case, the hospital looked around and there was a thing called proton beam therapy, which we didn't invent it, it already existed out there in the wild, uh, but it was used to treat, um, let's call them profitable cancers, um, things like uh, prostate cancer, where uh, if you're rich enough, you can afford to keep a knife away from your genitals by having uh, a laser do it. Um, yeah. And but then the sort of thing is like radiation therapy is multiple times a week for an intense period of time. Um, and this proton beam therapy like wasn't being used for pediatric use. And so yeah. our hospital decided that we were going to build one and our donors came up and we paid, you know, one hundred eighty million dollars in cash for a state of the art research facility that's been open and working for the past few years. But the thing that it does and this is why this is so important is because think about the brain is like. It's gonna sound weird. It's like a jello mold. Like imagine it is like a jello mold and there's like a piece of pineapple inside of that jello mold. And that pineapple is the tumor. But it's at the dead middle of the jello mold and you can't get to it. And if you were to use traditional radiation, it's just uh, uh, it's like holding up a flashlight. The light's gonna go in, it's gonna illuminate the the piece of pineapple, and it's gonna go all the way out. But when it does that, it hits all that stuff coming in and all that stuff going out. So yeah. you're hitting good tissue as well as bad tissue. And with the proton beam therapy, we're able to target where that where that beam of energy stops within three millimeters. So basically like the width of, wow. a, of a pencil lead. So using like, you know how 3D printing work where it like builds up those slices and layers yeah. to build a 3D shape. We're able to 3D print like decaying protons around this tumor and pinpoint where the radiation goes and find the shallowest angle to make sure it hits the least amount going in and absolutely nothing coming back out. And so with just that treatment, we're able to cut down something like 60% of the backsplash radiation that was impacting uh, things like the short-term memory that that kid was experiencing. And so that's an investment that we decided to make because it wasn't good enough that we were able to cure that kid, but we had to take a year of his life. We need to be able to ensure that when patients come to us with these diseases, we're able to give them a life that is, you know, worth living and is just as good as the life that they came to us with. We have a, we we don't like patent for profit any of our research. We will protect it in terms of not because we freely publish all of our stuff, right? So if someone wanted to go wanted to go and like make stuff happen off of our research, they could. But we do protective patents in terms of saying like, yeah, we developed this medicine, we own it, but we will give that research to you if you agree to produce the drug. Um, yeah. But we also were part of a project where we developed. Um, do you guys know what Chinese finger cups are? Those like yes. uh, wicker like things you stick your fingers in and you pull them. So yeah. imagine you are a 14-year-old gymnast and you are the floor mat is your specialty and you take a tumble one day like normal fall, uh, but you feel something that feels like a someone punched you in the side of your leg. And you get a big bruise that shows up and the pain doesn't go away. You start to get feverish and nauseous. You go in and your doctor tells you that you have osteosarcoma. So a bone cancer, a bone cancer in your femur, the largest bone in your body. Um, and normally the way that is treated is you radiate all of the bone marrow in that area to kill it all. Uh, and then you cut out the bone around it that has grown and become cancerous. Um, and then generally because there is no support at that point keeping your muscle around the bone because the support structure of the bone is gone, the whole leg is generally taken. Um, yeah. And, you know, at that point, you're a 14 year old girl and your your life has been gymna- like doing gymnastics. I can't talk doing yeah. gymnastics. And um, 
that wasn't a good enough treatment for our doctors. And so they developed this mesh, which sits at the two ends of the healthy bone and ensheaths like the nerve and bone marrow cluster inside of it. And then as the patient grows, as their muscles expand, the other leg grows with normal human growth, uh, the mesh expands and is firm enough to hold everything in place. So while, you know, they will not be able to go back and compete at the level they would before, you know, that girl will be able to walk at her high school graduation. She'll be able to dance at her prom, dance at her wedding. She'll be able to swim in the ocean with her kids and keep both of her legs. Um, And that's the sort of stuff that we do at St. Jude. Um, And so that's why it's, it's so important because there's, there's a point where, the you have to want to invent the future and make it a better place and saint jude is one of those places that said like you know we are going to make things better for everyone because we can and because we should um and thankfully like those stories that i'm telling you right now are stories that our creators connect with and then they find their own versions of every single streamer that we've worked with every single podcast every single youtuber each person has their own thing um because i've just told you two stories and those are two stories out of a hospital that's been around for 50 plus years. And every single day, there are hundreds of those stories. And I, I, I think one of the things I tell people is that um, when you donate to the hospital, um, you are funding a, a, a slice of time for that hospital. Um, and I think someone did the math. And at one point, it cost us $25 a second to keep the hospital up and running. And that seems crazy, wow. right? Like absolutely bonkers, <laughs> like $25 a second. Um, but you know, that's $25 a second that pays for treating, you know, thousands of patients and keeping their families in, you know, our long-term stay facilities, but also all those clinics around the world. It funds freaking particle accelerators. We use to do the proton beam therapy. It funds the, we actually create our own chemo drugs on site at the hospital. It funds all of that. And when you're able to donate just 25 bucks, you get to say that I owned a second of St. Jude. And the cool thing yeah. about that is when you say that, it means you also have enabled every single other second that comes after. And it's kind of like crowdfunding yeah. where you get to say, I made this happen if it wasn't for me, because we can never skip a second. We can never have one of the seconds where it's not paid for. Because if we have that, then we can't treat, we can't do a research, we can't do what we do. And so when you have that one second, Um, when you've donated and you've given that one second, you've enabled everything that comes after. You get to say, I am the reason that the scientists at St. Jude discovered that you could use the the (laughs) protein sheath from HIV AIDS as a vector to deliver a cure for bubble boy disease, which is something we did last year. I have enabled the patients at St. Jude to realize that they can use literal protons to cure cancer, proton laser beams to cure cancer. I have enabled this, that, or the other to happen. And you, and it's true. It's completely true. Um, it's just a, it's an awesome thing. Yeah, I'm rambling now. I don't really know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, and, and, and it's really, it's, it, it's really good to hear because I think one of the reasons uh, some people may not know, it, it may, people may know the name of a charity or a research institution, but I think sometimes they miss the the human piece and the like the physical piece like what is actually being done so i think it's really important to share those stories um going off of that because you talk about saint jude so passionately and as you've explained you've been there for quite some time and have been able to lead some innovations in how um you know saint jude works with uh with with different partners and for charity and stuff i want to ask you because you told us how you started at saint jude but what made you go to St. Jude? Like what, what made you get involved with this as your career path with, with, with St. Jude as your career path? I would love to tell you that it was completely uh, altruistic and I did it because it was a large passion of mine and that would not be true. Um, I worked for a small design shop in Memphis and my boss uh, was the kind of guy that had like there were 10 employees. We all sort of worked on all the same stuff and it was a great little family. Uh, but there's, you know, kind of a, a limit to how big a shop like that can grow. Um, we yeah. were blessed to work with, you know, fortune 100 companies and small art schools and James Beard award winning restaurants and the whole nine yard. Like it was great. Uh, but it was also like, I kind of had grown to the limit of what our clients could reasonably afford in terms of interactive stuff. And I wanted to, 
make a change and saint jude was sort of that place like they tell you that millennials like value um like making the world a better place is like the number one factor for their employment like options um and yeah it absolutely was for me like i like the notion of going to work for a place that was going to make the world better um but also i wanted to do more um and i didn't mean to do what i'm doing right now like again like we talked about this being like a you know the best (laughs) bad idea this is a completely bad idea like i would you know not equipped to do what i'm doing right now kind of stumble my way into the success um and it i went there to just build bigger and better websites really and then uh no one told me that i couldn't do this and so i kept doing it and it kind of went from there but yeah it was just a it was a good place to work and they had the opportunity for me and i wanted to try something different and then i actually if there's one thread you can pull from this it's that um, a lot of times when you're young, people will tell you that, oh, you need to have a vision for where you want to go in life and what you want to be and do and like have a plan. Um, yeah. I will counter with that. I think that's absolutely <laughs> not a good idea. Instead, <laughs> I, I will say that the best thing you can be in life is flexible and adaptive and always looking to make uh, a positive change in the short term for yourself. Because um, my history has been... Um, like I went to art school to make video games. I worked in the game industry for a little bit. Like it didn't work out for me. The game industry is a terrible place to be like a rank and file employee. It is so much work, <laughs> yeah. so much contract work, so few stable gigs, uh, so many long hours. And I went to, I left that and went into advertising, which, you know, uh, yeah, cause that's way more stable and not <laughs> just as horrible and abusive. Uh, but in terms of going from like, learning how to make games, learning how to market stuff, to learning how to ask people to help a cause. Um, my career has not been a straight path by any stretch, but every single uh, part of it added up to make something better. In a weird way, I'm like a layer cake. Um, <laughs> or like that layer of raspberry that I have in my career path really makes the whole thing tie together. Um, and in this case, it's like the fact that I have the history in the game, des- game design industry and have a history knowing how to market stuff added to my ability to go and do this and without those things you know you wouldn't have the ability to do all these other things and so i say to people that are out there like uh don't think that you have to have a path have a direction and then go in the direction of the favorable winds uh let them follow you and be adaptive and responsive to them uh, but don't feel like you have to you know only go in one direction I think to kind of go off of that question of uh, being flexible and adaptive and everything, um, has Play Live had to do any adjusting for all of the uh, chaos of 2020? Oh, absolutely. How has that been? <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, every year we would do uh, the St. Jude Play Live Summit, um, which was we would bring all of our uh, top fundraisers down to the hospital to see what they were working on in person. Our goal was to get every single person that had supported us at the hospital at some point um, and then every year we pick a group of people, bring them down to the hospital. And this year was going to be 320 odd people uh, coming to the hospital wow. to see what it's well. supposed to be. I think it was going to be the largest gathering of par- Twitch partners outside of like TwitchCon. Um, and uh, yeah, we it was supposed to have happened the last weekend in April. And I think the first week in March, we sent out the email saying that uh, this wasn't going to happen. Um, everyone was totally understanding, especially, you know, obviously we work at a hospital. Like I literally work on the grounds of the hospital. Um, I haven't yeah. seen them in since I guess the first week in March. Um, but like, you know, we obviously everyone understood. So that was great. Community is awesome. Um, but at that point you're like, <laughs> okay, so what do we do now? We just took away the biggest connection point for our audience. How do we get it back? And so we pivoted and we created this awesome St. Jude play live challenge box, which was, you know, this, Imagine like a souped up loot crate um, that had, uh, you know, a custom t-shirt and like fundraising ideas, information about the hospital, like all this stuff. And it was mostly meant to let people feel a connection to the hospital and that we were thinking about them. And the response was fantastic. And, you know, we raised uh, $3.4 million this year through St. Jude Play Live, considering last year we raised $2 million, and that was a huge jump up. Like, jumping up by more than, like, 66% or something like that was crazy. It was nuts, um, especially yeah. in the midst of all this. And then beyond, at that point, too, like, we work at, on GCX. Like, that is a show that we are deeply involved with. Um, and 
same time we're canceling Summit, we're talking to the guys at Rare Drop that run GCX and trying to figure out what we're supposed to do with a 10,000-person show in Orlando, Florida that was going to happen um, the third weekend in June. And, you know, contracts are written, checks are in the air, like, stuff's happening, and we have to back off on all that. So this year has been very, very challenging, and I think the response that we have had is miles beyond anything that we expected um the way people have responded to not just us but to everything out in the charity space has been incredible um i think people know that we are kind of on this cusp of we have to uh put up or shut up um and the notion of shutting up in the face of so much adversity and change is unconscionable and so people are going to make the world a better place at least that's my hope so now that we've talked a lot about St. Jude and Play Live and what you do there, we do want to ask a little bit about what you're watching, reading, listening, the pieces of pop culture that you've been leaning on uh, and utilizing during lockdown, during quarantine, because I think that that's something that a lot of people like these kinds of recommendations. I am a lot of people. Um, <laughs> just uh, just, to, just let us into your pop culture bubble for a little bit. Oh, boy, this is a beautiful cornucopia of nerd inside of my brain. Um, <laughs> so I I am, uh, I, I literally am a degreed nerd. Like I said earlier, my degree is in video game design. So I think that uh, games are always near and dear to me. Uh, I wanted to make games since I was a kid. Back when it was like old school, like I, I had visions when I was 12 of learning how to speak Japanese, moving to Japan and working for Nintendo. But even then, I didn't want to work for Nintendo. I wanted to work for Square to play, like, I wanted to make Chrono Trigger (laughs) games because I'm a huge RPG nerd. Um, And so, really, in uh, quarantine, uh, I've been playing a lot of video games. So, uh, I've been digging through because everything is all messed up. Like, games are getting pushed around, like, left, right, up, and down. Like, we're, we're weeks out from a console release, and we still don't know. Uh, full information about those things Um, (laughs) and so like lots of destiny lots of wow lots of things where I just get to go and explore and feel like I'm outside Um, but also um, I I I like to play tabletop miniature games um, which makes me a rarefied breed of of uber nerd (laughs) Um, and I have been a slowly going through my my uh, stash of shame which is for people that don't understand like when you buy a tabletop miniature to play like either in a game like D or like uh warhammer or anything like that like it's unassembled either plastic or metal or resin you have to assemble it and then paint it uh before it's supposed to be used on the tabletop as like the culture goes but it's not really the case no one actually, no one actually cares uh, and if they do actually care then you don't want to be playing games with those people because they're not gonna be fun to play games with so I've been working through like my backstash and been painting stuff. So that's been fun. Um, and uh, my wife has been uh, dominating her TV going through uh, hours and hours of anime. Uh, she is a, <laughs> she is a, a, a true, uh, a, a, a true deep weeb. Um, I love her dearly, uh, but our house is, <laughs> uh, you can always hear the sound of an, of a anime coming from uh, some TV somewhere in the house as she's working on a project at the same time as watching anime. Um, that sounds so familiar to this household. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Like, it, it's that sort of thing where uh, like now our little shorthand is to just pop into a room where the other person is and start singing like the Bon Voyage opening from One Piece because my wife is watching One Piece right now. <laughs> Um, and by say she's watching, I'm like, she is not current. She is like 400, 600 episodes behind or something. So, <laughs> But that means she still has already watched like 300 episodes, though. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and also, oh, like, uh, I'm a, I'm a, this is going to sound weird. I'm a wrestling nerd, but not through like, um, I didn't watch wrestling in the, in the, so I was born in like the early eighties. I didn't watch in the eighties or the nineties yeah. when I was like a young kid that's supposed to get into wrestling. Um, <laughs> and then I didn't watch it in like the early two thousands. I think it was like 2014, 2015, something like that, where a friend of mine had tickets to an NXT house, house show. And so for people that don't understand those words, I just said, uh, NXT is the developmental sub brand for WWE, 
which is the biggest wrestling company in the world. And a house show is a show that they do. They basically go on tours like bands and they do shows. But at a house show, nothing actually matters. It's just like showing off the the skill of the talent uh, and selling some merch to the fans. Um, but it's also the most fun you can ever have at a wrestling show because everyone just does silly fun stuff and the crowd gets really, really into it. Um, and <laughs> I'd never been to a wrestling show and they took me to this house show and it was like, the people that were on the bill that night are now at the very top of the WWE roster. Like you're talking about current like champions, people that have faced the brand were like at that house show, like Finn Balor and Bailey and Samoa Joe and a bunch of people that I dearly love. Um, <laughs> and it blew my mind. And then from there, I have gone down a deep, deep rabbit hole where uh, over the last uh, week, every single weekend, there's been a wrestling pay-per-view that I have watched from like, <laughs> uh, AEW to WWE to New Japan. Like today, the the G1 block for New Japan just got announced and I lost my freaking mind because um, Japanese professional wrestling is like a level above anything else in the world, both in terms <laughs> of talent, but also storytelling. I sobbed my eyes out at the end of the G1 climax last year um and so like it like the questions it was sort of like that we sent over before it's like what is, what is your like pop culture and really like the pop culture i want everyone to know about is japanese wrestling because it is yeah. like not even like the, the dudes are amazing and awesome like new japan is an amazing company but like stardom and like the the the, the oh my my brain is blanking out <gasps> the joshi thank you uh the joshi wrestling uh that exists out there like the storytelling that the women tell it's it is so so good uh and because they're all like you know 105 pounds soaking wet they can do crazy stuff and catch each other because they're one hella <laughs> strong and hella limber but also like it's not like a 300 pound dude is crashing down on you and gonna blow out your knees like they can do crazy stuff and it is amazing um and it's the best that's really cool uh, I mean, I kind of had, we had kind of like our last ending question, but I don't know if I felt like you answered it of, I mean, you kind of talked about a bunch of pop culture stuff, but I mean, is that the one piece of pop culture that mattered to you over the most, or was there something else that you'd like to tell everybody So about? this is going to be a weird turn to the episode, but the okay. piece <laughs> of pop culture that matters to me the most is fashion. And Ooh. not because of actual like aesthetics, but because of how dangerous our current consumptive habits of fashion are like Ooh. fast fashion. And by fast fashion, I literally like I talked about how I'm wearing a Becky Cloonan like shirt from Mondo, like on this phone call. Like, this shirt is fast fashion. Uh, it is a mass produced T-shirt uh, that was printed on a blank that was shipped in from somewhere in Asia that was produced at a factory that produces like tons and tons and tons of like what are what's essentially uh like self-destructing like apparel like apparel that will fall apart after yeah. the season and the dyes and the chemicals and all that stuff that goes into to to creating like the no the notion of target having a different geeky t-shirt every single day is destructive to the environment in a way that i don't think people understand or have really thought about um, like I encourage everyone to look up like the destructive environmental impacts of fast fashion and not stop buying the stuff that they want, but maybe just think about it and maybe don't buy that shirt because you think, ah, it's, that's cool. I'll buy that for $10. Maybe just wait and buy the next one that you think is cool for $10 and just try to cut your consumptive habits down because like, like fast fashion is doing more damage to the environment and the world than like strip mining and oil and natural gas stuff all put together. Um, it destroys more fresh water every single year than any other source of pollution. Um, and it is, it is become a societal trend uh, as we've facilitated it. Like it's the sort of thing where it didn't exist as a thing that you could reasonably do 35, 40 years ago. And now it's everywhere. Um, like it's, it's a thing that I want everyone to pay attention to. Um, because I think it is the thing that has the biggest impact like we to make the world a better place um, because it affects all of us. I feel so called out. You should. Uh, but oh. in a good way because <laughs> I, so I didn't buy a lot of like anime shirts. I didn't have that much anime merch at all before quarantine. Now I get bored and when I get sad, the serotonin I get from pressing buy 
helps that a little bit. So yeah. I have amassed a lot of anime shirts that are definitely fast fashion. So, uh, and I did not know anything about that. So thank you for bringing that up because who. And here's the crazy thing too. So those anime shirts probably you, with shipping under one, you what, 25 bucks? Like maybe. Tw- oh, okay. So like, okay, question on fast fashion. Yeah. So for fast fashion, you're talking specifically about like the mass produced, like Hot Topic has 20 Studio Ghibli things and they're doing it super, super fast and that thing's going to fade off versus like, say like a boutique clothes where it's like maybe $40 so instead of like a $10 shirt. Even with, Are those different? So even with the boutique, the question is where did that garment come from? Like, because it's still printed uh, on a blank and, I, and that blank nine times out of 10, it may have a higher thread count and feel softer and probably wear just as quickly still coming from that same factory still doing the same environmental okay and so what i was going to say is maybe like like take like that same impulse to like go and buy one of those and like all right cool instead of buying three of these and feeling that dopamine impact i'm going to find somebody that's doing like a custom tailored shirt and i'm going to send them my measurements and you're going to end up with a garment that'll last you longer a garment that will look better on you and a garment that will be easier to uh, change and adapt as your body changes as well. Um, and so instead of something that ends up in the trash, you'll have something that's actually like a cultivated piece of your life that travels with you. And that is like kept with you instead of just like, eh, I don't need this anymore. It just goes away. It becomes like a thing that is you. That's awesome. So yeah. I've- Matt, I'm going to start buying custom tailored shirts with, Different You're just not going to buy anything. You should do that. That would good. be amazing. We should not buy anything and we'll be all great. <laughs> the first time you put on a piece of tailored clothing, it blows your mind. It's like, wait, it's supposed to fit like this? Because I've never had a piece of tailored clothing. Oh, dear Lord. Like, um, <sighs> yeah, it's it's incredible. I only know this because my wife uh, is a like she sews like her craft is sewing. Uh, and so she has made me clothes and it's been like, oh, shirts are supposed to fit like this. That's it's awesome. Incredible. Um, and it's not expensive. Like just find a local tailor that's willing to work with you. And uh, I guarantee you right now, uh, your local tailors are looking for business because people probably aren't coming in because no one's going to work uh, yep. to you know, look their business finest. So you can get a piece of garmentry that will probably last you for years. That looks great on you and you'll feel good about buying it. Awesome. I told you it was well, a random so turn. <laughs> it was, but um, we've talked about so much this episode. Like, seriously, thank you for coming on. I'm stoked to be here. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your time with me and agreeing to do this. This has been fantastic. Matt, did you have anything else to say? Uh, I just wanted to say, if you guys do ever get into fundraising for skydiving and jumping out of planes, uh, please let me know uh, for context, our third anniversary, uh, Matt took me skydiving, and I realized how much he enjoys jumping out of planes. Uh, our lawyers are <laughs> definitely not going to be okay. Um, but thank you so much, Zach, for coming on and talking with us, giving us your time, and sharing your story and St. Jude and St. Jude Played Live story. Um, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on the internet, how they can get involved uh, with St. Jude, and where they can find all the socials. Yeah, so most important stuff here is you can get in touch with St. Jude at, at St. Jude Play Live on Twitter. Uh, you can join a Discord, which is Discord. Dot, dot, yeah, I can never talk. Discord.gg slash St. Jude Play Live. Um, our website is playlive.stjude.org. And you can find out more about St. Jude in general if you're not necessarily into gaming or live streaming or stuff like that. You can just go to stjude.org. There's a uh, Get Involved tab, which will tell you how to get involved with everything that we do uh, around the country and around the world to support the kids of St. Jude. Uh, we've got a big prize season that happens every May. Uh, with this dropping in October, the cool thing we're doing is what we call uh, the St. Jude Play Live Creative Season, which is where we encourage, uh, as the holidays kick in, like you're making your Halloween costume, um, you are baking Thanksgiving dinner, you are making Christmas presents, doing this, that, or the other. Uh, <laughs> utilize the awesome community that is Twitch Creative and stream yourself doing some creative stuff on Twitch. Uh, and we've got some awesome prizes that you can earn. You can find out more by going to St. Jude. 
uh, or, sorry, playlive.saintjude.org. <laughs> Hooray, I don't even know my own website. Um, and for me personally, you actually, absolutely should not follow me on Twitter because I'm a, a hot mess. Uh, but it's uh, at Zachary Witten, which is just my name. Um, and uh, I am the best idiot, uh, hopefully, that you will actually follow. Um, so, yeah. Uh, thank you so much for this. Um, again, uh, the hospital exists because everyone else enables it to exist. Um, we are absolutely the people's hospital. Um, we do what we do because people give to give to a cause that they care about and because they want to make the future better. And so to everyone that's ever fundraised or told somebody about what we do or donated and given, you know, money or time or energy, thank you, thank you, thank you so very, very much. Uh, you've made the world a, a better place and you've saved the lives of more kids than you can possibly imagine. So thank you. So throughout the month of October, the hosts of But Why Though and our geek community are challenging listeners to donate. You can find more information about the rewards that you get when you donate by going to stjude.org slash though. We really, really encourage you all to donate to this amazing cause. And I mean, Zach said it the best for us. You know, St. Jude is an amazing organization and we are more than excited to be working with you guys this month. Um, so as always, you can find us at PC on literally every piece of social media. And you can find me at omemethrandir on Twitter. Matt? And you can find me at, on Twitter at datm18, D-A-T-T-M-1-8. Dat